And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with the grand, beloved Dr. Bear Paul Lando, the uh, man on the other side of the river there on the South Fork in the beautiful big flat, crushing it as always on the farm, doing what he can do best. Bear Lando, how are you today? I'm doing good, and thank you as usual for that uh, opening superlative. Uh, how's things going over in the uh, in Lower Scabo there on your side of the river? Couldn't be better. We've been in the river every day. Uh, just uh, so blessed with how healthy the it, it is. The the water is just amazing. I did take a nasty spill uh, a couple of days ago. And my entire right leg is just full of abrasions and my uh, right hip is uh, completely uh, covered with contusions. I fell about 10 feet down a 2000 foot cliff trying to do a, a pretty um, gnarly uh, gifting of organite and uh, was in my earth runners <laughs> like an idiot and lucky, lucky I didn't break anything. They, uh, the angels were uh, definitely supporting me there. Uh, I literally fell head over heels down the side of a mountain and uh walked away uh, pretty much unscathed except for some nasty cuts so uh yeah that well, was been glad, my week. Uh, we're glad it wasn't serious but you realize they were probably watching you from the death star and hit you with a disequilibrium ray that made you <laughs> fall down the cliff there they don't want anybody messing with their uh screwing up the ozone there well the good thing is the organite was installed and um I don't know if you guys got a little bit on Sunday, but we got a little bit of rain literally in the beginning of August on Sunday. Uh, raindrops started falling on our head. Yeah, uh, it was pretty wild. So that was that was cool. I was out setting irrigation and I, I started getting a couple drops on my face and I was like, what's going on? Do I have a leak here that's spraying up at me? I looked up. It was actually sprinkling. Yeah, God was uh, taking a tinkle, I guess, as I'd say as a kid, but it was uh, really cool to see. And uh, we had some family visiting and they went and floated the river with getting sprinkled on. It was a trip. Felt like I was in Hawaii. So uh, and I'm wearing um, one of my new Hawaiian shirts I got for you as an homage to you, Bear Lando. So uh, <clears throat> it's kind of nice. Hawaiian. It's Classy. almost more uh, almost more like Fijian, really. But um Stoked to have Saul Means Luckman you're on. to be an old man. Only geezers wear Hawaiian shirts anymore. You know, when I was in uh, in my 20s, 30s, that was like the rage. We were back and forth with Hawaii before we moved there full time. And, and uh, you know, even on uh, North Shore Oahu there, you know, all the young surfers were wearing Aloha shirts, but uh, became kind of out of vogue here with the new radical wave of, uh, what do we call the agro surfers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, they're back. The Hawaiian shirts are back, definitely, with the kiddos. Nice. So uh, you can start wearing yours again. Uh, and we do have a surfer with us today. We were just talking a little surf talk before uh, we hit record. Saul over on the East Coast. And uh, excited to go deep in with him today. Uh, Saul Luckman uh, is a, um, this is the second time on the show with us. He's a award-winning novelist and he's returning to guide us on a magical mystery tour. Saul Luckman is a pioneering visual artist, award-winning novelist and humorist and best-selling author of nonfiction books on health, spirituality, and consciousness. As an accomplished ink and acrylic painter, Saul offers a glimpse of this universe of intelligent energy in his artwork as objects condition space with their essence and vice versa. And the outside conflates with the inside because all is one. 
Saul's international bestseller spanned fiction with Snooze and Callie the Destroyer, nonfiction, Conscious Healing, uh, Potentiate Your DNA, and Humor Satire, The Angel's Dictionary, Musings from a Small Island. And his bold, colorful compositions, three of which have been featured on the covers of Itzhak Beery's The Gift of Shamanism, Shamanic Transformation, and Shamanic Healing, Saul is committed to exploring and depicting energy. Uh, this podcast will leave no stone unturned as Saul's intrepid explorations into fake science, the present global dystopia, and the very nature of consciousness are congruent with the philosophical leanings of us here on AlphaCast. Why uh, are some vulnerable to the mind parasites? While many of us laugh them off, are accepted historical accounts the biggest fables of all, and what constitutes the true fabric of our realm? Well, we're going to dive into all these topics much plus much, much more today. Dr. Berlando, take it away. Hey, gentlemen. Um, actually, uh, Saul Luckman is a pseudonym for Kelly Slater, who we actually have on here today. So hi, Kel I mean, uh, Saul. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it is good to be in the company of fellow surfers here. And uh, we could talk surfing the whole time. But Saul, hey, great for you to join us. Uh, always, uh, always uh, good to chat with you. We've had a lot of great chats over the phone we've had uh, great chats you know both mike and i have been on your platform you've been with us so good to have you back thanks for making time with us uh shoot we have a lot of ground to cover you know we share so many similar interests uh simulation shamanism uh healing uh dna uh you know uh predispositions based on what's going on in our consciousness so uh why don't we start off by you telling us what's new? You know, I get your regular newsletter with podcasts, uh, you know, that you put out there and I really enjoy them. I'd encourage our audience to really check them out. And Mike will put all the links for those in the in the show notes here. But uh, so good to see you. And uh, thanks for being with us. So tell us what you're up to these days. And then we can kind of use that to segue into, you know, whatever we want to dive into. Well, thanks, Dr. Bear, and thanks, Mike. I'm really stoked to be here. I was mentioning before we came on that you know I've been riding my my pipo board a lot lately. I'm I'm I've come from a body surfing background, so I'm kind of learning the board world a little bit now, and you know, increasing my skills as a waterman. <laughs> so that's been a lot of fun. But I really appreciate you guys having me on. Body surfing it can be pretty gnarly. You ever watch those guys down at the wedge in Southern California? They're doing crazy oh, yeah. stuff. Definitely. I, you know, like Mark Cunningham was um, a really big uh, influence of mine. Um, he, he cut his teeth in, in that world in Hawaii and, uh, you know, is still considered to be the greatest living body surfer. He's just really, really incredible. I mean, I, I'm nowhere near that level, but you know, I've gotten pretty good. You know, I can hang with I can hang with some of the younger guys in you know where I surf in in Florida, um, and and I can catch some kind of crazy uh, crazy waves. But uh, the the wedge is a different animal entirely. That's a, that'll break you in two if you're not careful. I I grew up on the wedge because that's where I'm from, and uh, that's why I grew up as a, a we, what surfers would classically call a sponger and a body surfer because of that those kind of breaks. Same with Corona Del Mar right there, big, heavy, really concave 
uh, brake <clears throat> brakes there that were hard to surf. And I definitely almost died uh, at the wedge when I was 14. I was held under uh, for a good couple minutes, it felt like, and uh, came out on the sand and was puking and all that. So I've had my bouts with the wedge, uh, uh, Sir Lando, if you didn't know that. Um, what a heavy, heavy wave that is. Yeah, super, super heavy. So anyway, that's uh, I have a lot of respect for people who can take that on. I, I'm I'm a little bit more of a lightweight, but I mean, you know, I can get up into some some pretty good stuff when you know when the when the curve is right and it's not uh, not such a downward momentum. But that that really kind of throws throws off my game a little bit. But um, in terms of what I've been doing, I, I mean, I may have even said this before. I I, I still spend a lot of time at uh, attending uh, Alpha Vedic University. <laughs> You know, you guys have such a great podcast and there's always so much uh, just fascinating material you put out and you you always send me down a lot of rabbit holes of, of uh, research and exploration. So you, you've definitely done it again. I would say I would say I've I've spent the last uh, several weeks uh, neck deep in Jason Bashir's work and simulation theory and looking at the, you know, well, a lot of stuff that I wasn't aware of, but also a lot that I was aware of and how many connections there are to to my thought process and to to my nonfiction books on energy healing. And uh, they're deeply in just uh, they're absolutely full of a kind of um, holographic view of reality. Yeah, Jason is uh, pretty amazing. He's encyclopedic as far as his, um, you know, his research and his knowledge and uh, interesting guy, very interesting guy. We're going to have him back on again pretty soon, too. So, um, so yeah, I would love to I would or, love to just talk ahead. a little bit about the simulation concept and mm -hmm. um, okay. you know, uh, kind of where where I'm coming from and how I'm, I'm meeting up with that material. I know a lot of people are looking into this. Uh, you know, you've had... Uh, like Santos, uh, uh, Santos Bonacci, is that his last name, has interviewed yes. uh, Jason, and um, he just went on with Max Egan, or Max Eigen, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but very big figure, and so he's getting a lot of traffic, so I, I know that his numbers are spiking, and um, so there's a lot of interest in in what he's putting out. And I think for good reason, because if he's right, you know, we're, we're headed into some pretty intense and amazing uh, events uh, in the not so distant future. Yeah, the Phoenix event is in uh, in the early 2040s, according to his calculations, and it's actually a conjunction with uh, the other event uh, I'm blanking on right now. So we're looking at uh, the Nemesis X object and Nemesis X, correct. And what's interesting is this ties in with like Diehold Die Foundations, similar predictions, which come from a totally different angle. And Jason would say that is not congruent with where he's coming from. But I only bring that up because there are other traditions, too, that all seem to point uh, at this like 2040s time period. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are interested in this because uh, it kind of uh, <laughs> is a big deal. If, it, if there's any sort of truth there, we're talking about massive, massive global change. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the. Um... You know, what got me really interested in that leading up to it was looking more into concepts around Tartaria. And I know there's a tremendous amount of disagreement on on that, on what that, that even means. But just the idea of mud floods and pre-existing civilization resets and hidden history or 
history that's been covered up and all of that, you know, obviously that ties into Jason's research into simulation theory and the idea that we have these cataclysmic events that are programmed into the simulation, one of them being the Phoenix, the other being this Nemesis X object that he talks about. And so he's, you know, come up with this idea. I don't know, he's been on the show, but that that there's a, a 138 year cycle, which is the Phoenix cycle. It's actually a kind of cleansing mechanism, thus the name, there's a rebirth aspect to it. And it's designed in some ways to keep, I know this is such a rabbit hole, it turns into a rabbit hole really fast. But according to him, the, uh, the Phoenix protocol is designed to keep the archons and the archontic forces, their minions in check. So that's a very fascinating aspect of this discussion that we might have. But I thought I would just yeah. I, thought I would just uh, kick off, you know, and uh, I know, Dr. Bear, you're you're very well versed in this material. But, you know, less people think this is completely just, uh, you know, out coming from left field. It, I wanted just to share that in, there was this 2012 study. I think it was at Bonn University in, in Germany. And it was looking at cosmic rays and it was looking at a kind of energy shift um that they are, are supposed to contain whatever they are and however you want to define the word cosmic but anyway they they end up revealing this kind of underlying pattern or lattice uh that that was hypothesized to be a kind of created artifice a kind of simulation and we're talking about you know a hologram here and you can look back at uh at Michael Talbot's wonderful book, the, the Holographic Universe and everything that he had to say on this subject and, and many other uh, individuals who have looked at um, this question. There's an article I'm looking at right now from Science Daily back in 2012, it was talking about this. And the article is, do we live in a computer simulation run by our descendants? <laughs> now, um, that's not what I think Jason is saying necessarily be less, not so much our descendants and more so our true selves may be running the simulation. But in any case, it's an entire article on this idea that we're living in a simulation that's designed to help us learn how to, I don't know, improve our systems or survive or do something positive in terms of the human race. Yeah. And you know, it's not far-fetched at all because cultures, uh, people, you know, for eons have understood how the simulation works and it gets into all the things we talk about, you know, as far as how electrical forces are, you know, precipitate through the ethers to create our entire reality, our bodies, and how we're all individualizations of the um, grand design that uh, has the ability to project our little simulations within simulations but it also uh really explains uh the science you know uh people like jason and yourself you know you're you're great at bringing forth uh the uh more the historical understanding as far as how the simulation has been manipulated and uh you know how different uh, time clocks have been conceived in order to control people but the main thing, uh, you know, from my perspective is understanding the science behind it, because then rather than just wringing our hands and saying, well, somebody's manipulating us or, or has created, uh, you know, this holographic universe, uh, you know, that we're now captive of, 
uh, we can actually do something about it. And I believe that's what the simulation is about, is us being in a, an incubation period where we learn how to create the simulation we want. And, you know, the science also explains very clearly how uh, other entities who are not, um, you know, in the mass hypnosis and actually creating it can manipulate us on the mental plane and capture our attention and therefore our whole creative impulse, our creative consciousness uh, to create the world that they want and uh, seduce us into thinking that we can't do that for ourselves. So um, yeah, anywhere, you know, you want to take that, but there, there's just so much, not just evidence, but ways that we can uh, verify that for ourselves by taking these um, forces that the ancients talked about as far as how the, the simulation is created in the first place and recreate them in the lab and, and you know, in medicine and everything that we do. So it's not just conjecture when you take these principles and then apply them and then have your own experience. You say, well, that's really how the universe works and it can't be anything else but a projection, a simulation, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same thing. Well, well stated. Yeah, um, there's so much in what you just said to unpack. But let's let's start off by just maybe outlining the concept of the simulation that we'll, I'm working off of. Maybe we can eventually get to the parasitic manipulation, how that works, and then what we can do about that. You know, but I wanted to segue maybe through some of my my uh, material, especially from my first nonfiction book, Conscious Healing, I wanted to share a few moments from that that really tie into this entire conversation. I was just going back through and looking at what I had written. I mean, a lot of it, I had, frankly had forgotten I even wrote. I've just moved on in so many ways. And I'm like, oh my God, I was absolutely you know, steeped in this from, from day one. This was the first book I actually published all the way back in 2005. So I was going to share a little bit of that on the um, this uh, concept of the holograph, the hologram, the holographic reality, the simulation, all of that sort of thing. But then I'd love to get into archons and, and that kind of programming, if we can, if we can take the conversation in that direction. Also, just so you know, someone in chat said, Jason, Archaics, Jason did mention you saw one of your books in one of his streams. So he's giving you some love. Oh, cool. That's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm uh, wanting to reach out and maybe um, do an interview with him if he's up up for that. Um, he's very he's very uh, reachable. So I was just going to contact him and see you know if he wants to do that. And I had some other. I also really wanted to talk about um, before just lay this out there to you guys. I'd love to touch on the notion of the vapor canopy. And I would love to talk about some of my my thoughts on that and some of my experiences with things that might be aspects of the vapor canopy. <laughs> Definitely, so could, uh, that would be amazing. Could, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so if you yeah I'd, I'd love to hear that. Okay, so th these are the things that I've been kind of thinking about. So, so I'm just going to just read a few excerpts, a handful of excerpts. Um, from and some quotes that are in conscious healing and that's book one on the regenetics method you can find that all over the place it's if you go to phoenixregenetics.org and look up the book conscious healing you'll find it there it's it's a it's an issue embedded pdf and you can read it for free so there it is so um so from the perspective of quantum biology the human body is a hologram 
composed of intersecting lines of bioenergy. And so I have this figure in the book. So the above figure shows how the vertical light processing chakras interface with the horizontal sound generated electromagnetic or torsion fields to create the geometric matrix necessary for physical manifestation. So there I was seeing us as a kind of simulation inside a simulation where you're informed fields interacting with a greater set of informed fields. And of course, not only is that really uh, resonant with a lot of uh, today's uh, science, it's also very resonant with many ancient esoteric wisdom traditions. Now I'm going to, um, let me just pull up one more thing here. I'm just, I lost. Well, I was going to pull up the screenshot of that. What was, I'm trying to find it on the site again. What's the link again? It's a uh, Phoenix Regenetics dot uh, org. And then it's the, if you, the tabs, I think the tab is um, books maybe, or conscious healing. Let me see where that would be. Conscious healing. Yeah. I'm there. You see it? You see it? Uh -huh. is it? Is it pulling up? Yeah, it's under books. It's conscious healing, and it's just a page that has it there. You can just read it right there. Just scroll down. It's right there. So, so as our bioenergy blueprint, this this uh, this ecosystem that we're talking about, I'm 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 just reading. Uh, it functions as a compendium of all the data pertinent to our our well being and to and in fact to our entire lives. This is kind of our own our own energetic blueprint. So you have in the uh, Michael Talbot in the holographic universe talking about this. Uh, I have a naturopath named Stephen Lindstedt who who talks a lot about this. He says you know. Um, that interruption or distortion in the range, strength, and coherency of this uh, energy system leads to breakdown in the body's self-healing mechanisms. And then you have this uh, physician and author, Richard Gerber, who wrote Vibrational Medicine. He actually contends that, you know, the, the fields are so primary that if we can't alter that basic blueprint, the, the healing can't be permanent. We have to actually alter the blueprint. And I know, I know, Bear, with all, a lot of the, the products and things that you're bringing out that are energetically infused, I'm, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say you probably agree with some of these statements. You're, you're muted, Bear. I'm going to yes, keep. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, um, so we, my partner Lee and I spent a lot of time mapping out these these fields, the, 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 the these ecosystems as we like to call them. So they're these energy fields that basically contain all of the all of the data for how you work as a living being, and it includes your illness patterns or traumas or other things that might actually distort these patterns. And so. And so I say, what, what if on some level we are made of sound? What if in the beginning was the word? What if the music of the spheres is no myth? What if we ourselves are a harmonic convergence? What if the holographic grid of our being is a linguistic and musical interface between higher dimensional light, which might be considered a form of divine thought or intention, and sound in higher dimensional octaves? So I went on to say we live not just in a holographic, but in a harmonic universe. And so we can talk about things like cymatics and, and frequency medicine and all that kind of thing. And um, so I'm like, I'm, I'm checking all this stuff out going, oh my goodness, it's really, really extraordinary. I get into Richard um, um, Alan Miller's work. He's a, a, a physicist and a, he's written a lot of very interesting uh, 
uh, papers, but he has this whole theory about precipitated reality. And I quote, I quote him, superposed coherent waves of different types in the cells interact to form diffraction patterns, first in the acoustic or sound domain, and secondly, in the electromagnetic or light domain. This leads to the manifestation of physical form as a, quote, quantum hologram, a translation between acoustical and optical holograms. So it's really sound and light. And this is what I was talking about uh, all along um, in, in my work. And, you know, he does a lot of outlining of what he calls quantum bioholography. Very, very fascinating, uh, you know, to see how all of this lines up with, with simulation theory, because we could look at this as, as a molecular physical phenomenon where you have the cells generating all of this. This, this energy, but we can also look at it as pure simulation where different aspects of the simulation are, are interchanging different energy frequencies that are all simulation derived. Yeah, we had right. Doc, we had Doc Ram uh, on Richard Allen Miller on AlphaCast a couple of years back, and he's actually not far from us up in uh, Grants Pass area. I believe he's still there. Yeah, Should I thought he was in yeah, the, I, of the woods. We should touch base with him again. He's a, uh, he is, yeah, I, I got to go see him. I, I promised to go visit him and I'm long overdue. So I'm going to do that. We've got some great talent up in our neighborhood here. We've got Ron Gibson. We've got uh, Dr. Miller. So uh, a lot of good folks. Um, so Saul, you know, if you, everything you're saying is, is so amazingly right on. And then if we just simplify it and understand that everything, you know, of course, begins from those progenitor waveforms and waveforms have different dimensions. A few of those dimensions are sound and light. And when you understand the, the nature of waveform mechanics, then you have basically intersecting composites of waveforms that are created by uh, you know, an idea, a complete thought pattern of creation. Of course, the original uh, creators uh, you know, were plasma entities of intelligent design that um, you know, this, the seven rays and so forth. And then all of those um, intersect in ways. And, and, and every time we have an idea, it's a play of those of those original forces. And then when we look in inside the body, you know, we have, of course, the, the mainline chakras, which are just representations of those plasma fields uh, in the sky that. clock above us. And then there's, uh, you know, additional uh, chakras, energy centers that uh, you know, mimic the the larger constellations. But when you kind of, you know, see it in its most simplest form and then break through all the verbiage, um, it's it's pretty easy to see that, yeah, everything is sound and light and they're all dimensions of these same waveforms coming from universal consciousness. Right on. I mean, there's so many people from so many different, uh, you know, uh, walks of life and uh, disciplines are arriving at, at this uh, this conclusion, you know, you've got you've got like Dr. Carl Prebrum talking about the how the cerebral cortex, according in his model, is operating hand in hand with something like a universal or a subatomic uh, hologram, right? You know, and then you've got somebody like Dr. Leonard Horowitz saying that you know you have a hologram inside a hologram that's giving rise to life as a function of this creative consciousness. And for me, you know, the, the first question 
when I when we go down this road is what is this creative consciousness that's giving rise to the simulation? And then what and then the second question is, what is our relationship to it? And then, you know, the third question, not to, you know, you know, you have to pardon my French, but, you know, what the fuck happened? <laughs> you yeah. know? Because clearly, you know, there are some glitches in the matrix here. And I think it's really important to understand where those come from, uh, kind of what they mean and what they mean for us moving forward. And what can we do about them or how can we work with them? Yeah, you're talking about the, essentially what is the nature of, to be a living man or woman in this plane? Uh, what is evil? And um, these are deep philosophical questions, but why is there evil? And I think one of the great um, you know, traditions you look to and we look to is Gnosticism. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's uh, Gnosticism really takes that on directly. You know, it really is talking about um, the nature of evil. I mean, there's an entire, you know, at this point in time, there's an entire field of study, uh, ponderology, which is a study of the nature of evil. And then you also have people like Paul uh, Levy out there. He wrote Dispelling Watiko, Breaking the Curse of Evil. And he's looking at, he's looking at evil as a kind of, um, well, he's, he's looking at the world as suffering from a kind of collective mind control. And he gives it a sort of Native American spin. But it, I have a quote from him that's really fantastic uh, from uh, the uh, I think this is the description just dispelling with Tico. He says that there is a contagious psycho spiritual disease of the soul, a parasite of the mind that is currently being acted out on mass on the world stage by a collective psychosis of titanic proportions. This mind virus, which Native Americans have called Wetiko, covertly operates through the unconscious blind spots in the human psyche rendering people oblivious to their own madness and compelling them to act against their own best interests. And I mean, enter the pandemic, right? The, this, you know, is a perfect description of what we've seen for the last two and a half years. So the question, Sol, is uh, why do some of us just laugh at it, you know, as far as all these narratives that are really ludicrous and, um, you know, it'd be laugh out loud if they weren't so destructive to some people. But why do other people uh, just fall, you know, prey to these things when they're on their face so obviously untrue? Yeah, I mean, that is the question, really. And, you know, I think without talking about, you know, without breaking down the nature of the simulation and the archons and the artificial intelligence it's a little difficult to answer that question. So here's how I see things. And this is from my way of looking um, at, at um, a lot of different material. And this would include, but not be limited to Jason's material, because I don't, don't agree with everything that he has to say. And I, I would challenge him on certain points. And we could even talk about what those are. I mean, uh, I would I would do that with him too, for that matter. So as I would. So, so there are... Um, the way I see it is that we that some aspect of ourselves is outside of the simulation. And maybe it's maybe it's you could think about that being our people that we belong to, and that we are students uh, who have signed up to be plugged into this the, to the simulation to 
learn life lessons that will help us become more mature, capable creators. So that at some point when we step into what I would call like our light body, and Jason likes to call it the avatar, the permanent avatar. But whenever we actually adopt an ascended physio physiology and become as gods, we are responsible with that power. You know, it's the it's the Spider-Man quote, right? With great responsibility, great power comes great responsibility. So I think that's the mentality of uh, behind the simulation. So the simulation is created and we plug into it. And this could be in some kind of matrixy way. You know, I know Jason likes to talk about how our nervous system is the kind of filter that plugs into the simulation, the simulacrum, whatever you want to call it. So we go through these these life experiences or various lives, incarnations, life sims, whatever you want to call them. And we keep feeding the information back into not only the simulation, but to ourselves and maybe our teachers or guides who are on the other side who exist in what you might call reality, because this is clearly not reality. This is some kind of simulation. So we are in the classroom. It's the veil of soul making. You know, there are lots of names that have been given to this uh, in, in poetry and in uh, mystical writings over, over the centuries. So here we are, we're learning, and we are in a kind of symbiotic relationship with the simulation. We get information from outside the simulation, which would be from ourselves many times, from our higher selves, who are that part of us that's sort of taking the simulation. Like, for example, all of the regenetic stuff came from that point. I know, and I actually had a visual experience of seeing that higher self. And I write about this and potentiate your DNA. And I, so I really, I really get this, this dynamic that we live inside the simulation and outside the simulation. And those are those, those um, levels of our being are in interaction, constant interaction is a kind of feedback loop. Am, are you guys hearing me? Am I okay? I've, sometimes I just feel like I'm, you know. No, you're good. And in, in, in your book, uh, uh, Petitiate Your DNA, you bring up Dewey Larson, right? And Dewey yeah. was the engineer yeah. and author who uh, kind of has, talks about this duality of time, space, space, time, which is just a kind of a Western framework of of, of the higher self versus the um, the different bodies, right? You have your your uh, corporal and then your etheric and then your astral and you kind of go up the levels until you're on the other side where essentially he would call that what like um, uh, time space or whatnot where you are now operating uh, in a much higher octave if you will where um, you can uh, communicate back and forth across through those barriers but you're in different realms essentially. You know it's interesting I've written about Dewey Larson and time space and in two of my books, Potentiate Your DNA and in my novel Snooze. And, uh, you know, in Snooze, I'm sort of fictionalizing the concept, but it's very interesting to think about Dewey Larson and his theory, which he called reciprocal system of physical theory, which is a big mouthful. So I, I usually just say reciprocal theory. So it's interesting to think about reciprocal theory in relation to simulation theory, because if you look at it in that way, we here in space time, are living in the simulation. So space-time is the simulation. Time-space would be the reality outside the simulation. And that's where all the blueprints are held. That's what is creating the simulation. In the potentiation regenetics model, 
the blueprint for our physical existence exists in time space. So I would say to, to map this onto simulation theory, we're looking at time space being reality and we are in the illusion. The space-time continuum, the illusion of time, that there's some sort of continual timeline when we know it, there is no such thing. So that makes sense. It's kind of like a, how Project Looking Glass would be working, right? They were tapping into that uh, if you believe that that was an actual thing that happened. Right. I mean, well, it, you know, it might might be that if you're if you're a student taking this simulation, that you know your your life, your what we would perceive as a lifetime happens in maybe a couple of hours and maybe you get up and you go have a coffee break or something and you come back and do another life. It's and very many wild. folks have uh, very rightfully, you know, described time as a perception and going back to the mechanics of things, time is nothing more than the sequential stratification of data. And that's uh, a fancy way of saying a movie frame going by a light source. And so as those frames proceed, and if you are the one watching the movie, it is not only going to create the illusion of motion, but it's also going to create the illusion of uh, time sequence. But uh, as you're talking about, when you transcend, uh, which in, um, you know, like Walter Russell described how being the fulcrum of consciousness, it just means that you are in an awareness state that you are the ones putting you are the one putting those uh, electrical forces those polarized electrical forces in motion that start the whole frame by frame movie projection in the first place so again mm -hmm. just defaulting back to simple explanations uh the closer you get to the truth the more simple it does become and again it's uh, easy to demonstrate these principles and um so anyway just wanted to comment on that yeah, I mean, I keep seeing, you know, you know, when people draw cartoons and you do like a little flip book and it, you know, you mm -hmm. flip through it and it gives you the illusion of motion and the illusion of reality, something ha happening through movement. I mean, that's really what we're talking about, some super complex version of that where, you know, our senses are, are completely uh, fooled into, uh, into well, we're fooled by our senses into believing that all of this is real. Right. It's interesting to look at, um, you know, another figure like Neville Goddard and his writings on the imagination. I mean, he has so many things that are very much in alignment with with simulation theory and how really, really all of this is powered by thought and consciousness and the imagination. And even Jason Bashir's is out there saying, you know, we're here to develop three the three sacred qualities, which he would call intuition empathy and ultimately imagination and it, it and the more the more skilled we get in learning how to utilize our imaginations to interact with the simulation the more we can change our realities and experience really miraculous outcomes yeah. in a variety of areas not, not just in our day-to-day -day, but in our you know our health in our and even in maybe larger larger uh, systems now this is where i would disagree he, he he believes that a lot of the macro programming is is set in stone and i'm i'm not convinced that that's absolutely true now i i don't go along with that either and it's easy to point out exceptions for that 
but you know, you mentioned the um, it, we, that Jason was talking about the neurological uh, reception, uh, you know, being how the, you know, the simulation, uh, you know, we, we are held captive by it. And that's really true because that is a receptive uh, part of our polarity and it plays on our nervous system. And the nervous system has a shelf life because it has to operate through neurotransmitters that then degrade not only the neurological tissues, but the neurotransmitters in the process of that reception. So if you do not have the projection part of the polarity that would uh, you know, relate to the metabolism of our being, uh, then we are not using our imagination to project our reality out simultaneous to receiving data incoming, which not only renews, uh, you know, our, our own physical body and our consciousness, but it makes us active participants. And of course, what we've been uh, seduced into is just being passive, uh, receptive, um, non-participants in this reality. And that's why, of course, in our academics, the first thing they teach you is imagination is not real, when in fact, it's the very thing that creates everything in the first place. Amen. Well said. That's so spot on there. That's, that's exactly <laughs> my are you, view. Are you guys familiar with the philosopher Bernardo Castrup? I believe I'm saying his name right. Um, he's He's been pretty influential in kind of breaking down modern simulation theory in a very interesting way. And when I like his analogy of the dashboard, our neurology is the dashboard that just allows for us to engage uh, in the reality. And if we aren't, or if we're the pilots in front of the dashboard and we don't know what we're doing, we don't know how to use the dashboard correctly because we're not uh, being driven by, you know, what the universal principle, what I call love is the universal principle, right? That drives it all then we're, we don't know how to use the dashboard. So we're not engaging with the reality properly. So it's um, also knowing how to the proper techniques and the proper connection to love to be able to use the dashboard so that we can engage in reality correctly. Uh, and I think that's a pretty interesting uh, analogy that seems pretty fitting. Yeah, this is Castro, K-A-S-T-R-U-P, right? Bernardo Castro. Correct. He's, he's like a computer engineer and he, he, he kind of breaks it down from that perspective and looks exactly. at Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's important work to really uh, have in the, the background of this discussion. You know, it's like for people to go and look at, at his work also, because there are some very intelligent people talking about these things right now. And there have been people talking about them for a very long time back into, you know, I'm 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 going to say into antiquity. I mean, for example, like in in. Um, in like in tantric mysticism, there was something that has been called deity visualization, uh, where these adepts, these uh, Indian adepts, would folk use their imaginations to create like a person or a god in in their in the room with them, and they would they would follow certain specific uh, protocols for doing that. And, and they were actually able to materialize beings <laughs> that, uh, that they could exchange information with or that might put objects into the room. This is very related to uh, a lot of magical practices that have to do with creating familiars and that sort of thing, if you're aware of any of that material. So, I mean, mm -hmm. really, the power of the imagination is quite vast, and it's been the 
area of uh, the kind of the central focus of mystical studies uh, dating, you know, back through alchemy and beyond. Yeah, and what what I love about the did I freeze up? Or are you guys good? Can you hear me? I'm good. Okay, I think Bear might have froze up. Uh, what I love about Bernardo's, uh, um, you know, relationship here, and what what you're talking about here with the ancient traditions of magic and like the the ancient oracles at Delphi, for instance, they were all like young women that were still, you know, prime virgins that understood the uh, that were directly connected to the agape love principle that was driving their imagination, able to touch these other realms, is that it takes away the victimhood. The victimhood of being a victim in a simulation. There is an you're an active participant um, in this as a divine divine being, right? And I think that's an important aspect. I got Bear back here. He's back in. Hi guys, lost you for a minute, so I'll catch up. Hey uh, Bear, here's a quote that that directly speaks to something you said a moment ago. This is William Blake. He says, "Some see nature, some see nature all ridicule and deformity." and some scarcity nature at all. But to the eyes of the man of imagination, nature is imagination itself. He also said, and imagination is the real and eternal world of which this vegetable universe is but a faint shadow. You know, that couldn't be more true when you're engaged in farming or gardening. Um, you know, as an example, the other day I went over to one section of the farm and I noticed there's uh, some herbs growing up, a trellis that weren't thriving. And uh, I really didn't do, and, and I experience this all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I hadn't paid attention to them for a while because they're over in a different corner of the property. So I paid attention for a couple of days, went over them, nurtured uh, them in different ways, you know, hand watering instead of just turning on the irrigation, didn't feed them, didn't do anything else. And, you know, within uh, two, three days, they're just thriving. They're bright green and everybody's buoyant and vibrating and, and healthy. And I know for a fact that's because, uh, you know, I am imagining what I want them to be. So nature is a fantastic reflection of our of that projection quality of our imagination and i believe the the most valuable thing uh when you're engaged in agriculture of any type is you get to prove that out so yeah i uh i love those quotes yeah i've seen that kind of thing too it's interesting how the power of the mind can can impact the physical world there are people who do potentiation for example for their gardens and they report some of the most interesting phenomena. Sometimes it's uh, things that grow faster or they seem healthier. And sometimes it's uh, uh, parasitic uh, insects that will just leave. And there's a whole concept around this work having to do with parasites and how you can plug up a certain disposition in your, your energy fields that makes you um, susceptible to parasites. And when you do that, you just get rid of them. And this can this can include not only physical parasites, but things like etheric parasites or archons, or aspects. All of the, the all the same all the same thing, and they represent the same issue, which is parasites need you know old junk to feed on. So if you stop feeding them, there there's nothing there for them. They'll just go away on their own. 
Right on, right on. So, uh, you know, there, there's also, I feel like there's this energetic aspect to the parasite equation. And I've written about that in my books. Um, and I think this, this gets into the archon material. And we talked a little bit about evil in relation to, uh, you know, uh, dispelling Wetiko. And I wanted to also take that into the, back into the Gnostic world. One of the people I learned a lot from early on on this subject was uh, John Lash, who wrote Not in His Image, and I really recommend that book. It's uh, subtitled Sacred Vision, Sacred Ecology, and the Future of Belief. And in that book, he, he describes, he basically went in and did his own translations of the ancient Gnostic texts and concluded that they were describing a kind of parasitic infection of the human race by mind parasites that are called archons. Now, he was looking at this for the most part, even though he describes the archons uh, in terms uh, that might have to do with a, a type of artificial intelligence, I, I think mostly he was seeing this as a very physical uh, a physical uh, scenario, like a real scenario. But if you want to look at it from simulation theory, and this is what Jason's been doing with the archons, he basically sees that the simulation was hijacked by the demiurge or the Lord Archon or the God of the Old Testament, whatever you want to call it. And that this, this is uh, why we have, we have experienced many of the difficulties in our reality, because we've been dealing with a kind of foreign, a foreign parasitic consciousness that has been feeding perhaps on on some aspect of our energy you know there's this term louche that gets thrown around in in our community and uh, it has to do with this idea that that humans give off energy that these parasitic predatorial beings actually feed on and this energy comes from states of fear and stress anxiety panic confusion and and the like so enter the archons into the equation and enter enter the archons into the simulation. Yeah, and um, you know, you could liken old diseased um, and decaying flesh and matter in the body that attracts parasites. And then you take the emotional states to the lower astral plane and it's just a uh, you know a representation of that same thing on the physical plane. So so yeah, there they yeah. enter, and you know I think we have a lot to learn in this computer age. I believe the whole reason for computers is just to help us understand the nature of ourselves. You know, and uh, one aspect of medicine I practice, we took it to a high level of neurological testing, where we. Uh, operated the body no different than you sit down to a keyboard on a computer and we could get that specific and um and you know just that expedient with uh finding out things and then changing things just like you do in a computer and then you look at some people that make their business of creating viruses mike you can talk more about this uh but it's the same thing it's like interjecting these programs into the computer uh, software that now, you know, they're in control or creating things on your screen that you don't want. But, um, you know, I think the real lesson in all this is that it's happening on every single level. And we have a way to shore ourselves up, shore our computers up and, and uh, even ourselves on the astral plane so that we aren't operating on those levels and being vulnerable to any of this in the first place. 
Yeah, it that is an interesting analogy because typically when you get a malware injection or some sort of quote unquote virus, which is the only virus that exists, it's like a computer virus, is that what typically how do you get that? It's like you're you're doing something where you're uh you're letting yourself open because you're either doing some shady stuff, you're you're going on to the you know, porn or looking at stuff you shouldn't be or being stupid and you're not you're not being a valiant, you know, directed consciousness, right? And so I think that's a great lesson for everything. Like if you do have, like Colin Wilson writes about the mind parasites in his famous book, right? I don't know if you've read that, Saul, or, um, you know, what John Lon John Lash uh, talks about with the Gnosticism was that these parasites feeding off your loose is because you either don't have the awareness or haven't put the effort in to understand. And that's essentially why I guess we contract to come in here is to give ourselves a challenge. And I know we have trauma that we deal with and we have all this that we need to tackle. And I think uh, it's just part of the experience of being in this plane. And um, if we don't take some responsibility for ourselves and our lives and who we are and why we came here in the first place to co-create and 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 buck up and 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 do the right work and and all that and it's super fun when you do it then yeah you're going to be preyed upon and this isn't a victimhood thing this is a why we come here to experience this as god so we can have the experience and have a challenge that's what actually drives the create creation forward right this brings up a question that i always struggle with gentlemen and i think you guys can help me with this there's this idea that we're not here to learn that we're here just to remember and that everything has been created and everything already is. But then I also have, I that competes with the idea that we are here, you know, to learn and transcend and to ascend and actually create new. And that we are in this kind of primordial creation element that allows us to create the new and continually expand our consciousness. So how do you, how do we come to grips with this? Is everything's already been and already, already is and already always will be. But then how do we how do we tie that in with the idea that we're here to create through love and, and expand and see the new and witness the new and experience the new? But if it's already there, why are we doing it? Does that make sense? This is like, I guess, a huge philosophical question that people have been thinking of for millennia. But Sol, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, those are great questions. And there's certainly those are things that I think about a lot actually as a as a an artist uh, as a writer um and as a painter for that matter you know the, like what is the nature of the creative process and you know why am i even doing this right i think uh the notion that everything already exists makes sense if you take time out of the equation you know if you take time out of the equation then you're looking at something static where you would have that but when you introduce time, and I think you have to introduce some element approximating time into dynamic systems, that's why we have time that happens in the simulation. And if it's a simulation or a copy of a reality, then that must, must mean there's time in that reality too. So even our higher selves, at whatever level of consciousness they may be at, are existing. They're experiencing time at some level. As a creator, when I hear platitudes or read memes to the effect that we're just here to remember, I just I kind of want to throw up or just count me out. That's not my reality. I want to be able to experience novelty, even in the law of one. This is why the one infinite creator sets everything into motion it's essentially to experience novelty 
And so the whole law of one principle is that you have all of these creators being created, just like in the simulation theory that Jason's putting out in many ways, so that at some point we can ascend through the densities, whatever those are, and go through the singularity and emerge on the other side as a creator. I even think the Gnostic story is telling us that that is how this works, that you have people in training under difficult circumstances with, with archons. And I wrote, you know, Callie the Destroyer is all about this. So I may have thought so much about these issues. You have uh, human people in training to become gods or eons or, or aeons, however you want to pronounce that word, A-E-O-N-S. And this is the Gnostic term for the divine beings that assist the creator or the originator or God, you know, with definitely with a capital G and maybe an O and D as well. But these eons assist uh, the, uh, the, with the unfoldment of, of the originator's creation, and they, they are essentially future projections of, of ourselves because we're going in that direction. One of the eons was in the Gnostic mythology was Sophia, who is Mother Earth and who may actually you know, in some sense, energetically or otherwise, be the earth that we're standing on, whatever this this realm is that we're standing on. I don't know if I answered your question, Mike. Did I? Did I? I think I did. I think I actually did respond to it. That was uh, a very good answer. And here I have uh, Callie the Destroyer. And this is a great uh, example of using creativity to really uh, delve deep into and illustrate these concepts. Fantastic read. If you guys are into sci-fi fantasy at, with a Gnostic uh, a spin and a lot of uh, awakening truth in this. And of course, with this, you talk about the greatest parasite government <laughs> and how uh, essentially um we allow for uh, that macro level of parasitic uh, parasitic entity to, uh, if we don't let it go unchecked, it will take over the world and destroy us and destroy itself. And really, it's our own inability to, I guess, come to grips with our own inner demons and who we are essentially as creators uh, that allows for all this to unfold. Uh, and that book is really entertaining. Uh, I know Bear has it has read it as well. So uh, if yeah, just a it. shout out for this book, guys, uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, it. Yeah, myself as well. It's very entertaining. A uh, lot of truth in it, and um, yeah, just a good read. And, and as most people are aware by now, just the word government itself literally means mind control, and that, that's a you know, that's the humorous side of all this is they're just so in our face, uh, you know, telling us exactly what they're doing. And of course, that is why some of us have delved into the field of legal law just to unravel the deception that um, really controls us in our institutions at ground level, because until you can get free of that level of just um, just gross manipulation, then you're really going to have a difficult time uh, transcending through higher octaves to get into some of the realities that we're talking about today. Well, you really are. I, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to mention that government literally means mind control. And there's even this funny confusion when you get into the Gnostic texts where the word archon has been interpreted to mean both this extraterrestrial or foreign and, and parasitic intelligence 
and government officials or or leaders. <laughs> so there is a conflation there that is kind of hilarious in uh, light of this discussion. In the traditional um, Nagamadi text or the creation story, are the archons kind of like fallen angels in a sense? They're part of the hierarchy that were kicked out by the uh, father creator. I mean, that's one of one of the interpretations. Yeah, um, you know that there's lots of interpretations. Some of them more well known than others. A lot of people have written about this. I mean, when you when you take on reading in any of these texts, like, uh, you know, you get into something like the trimorphic protonoia from the, the Nag Hammadi library, right? I mean, it's yeah. so dense. It, it's very hard because a lot of these are fragments and it's we're talking about being translated from a dead language. And it's very, very difficult at times to make out very clearly what is being said. There are references to beings that we don't know about um you know that we it's hard to know what what those names mean that sort of thing so it i would say there's a lot we don't know about what the gnostics were thinking but i think john is john lash is generally correct that they that they were people who in essence worship the uh, the earth mother earth they were definitely a a kind of matriarchal uh, they were involved in a kind of matriarchal thought process or system. Now, in Jason's view, this would have been the world under the vapor canopy. Mm. So that's where... Yeah, talk more about the vapor canopy. The only vapor canopy I knew was in college in my dorm room. Yeah, yeah. That's where I, you know, and that's what I was talking <laughs> about. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's like, what is it? You know, fast times at Ridgemont High when they get out of the van <laughs> and, and there's all the smoke that follows them out. You know, Jeff Spicoli and company. That's right. <laughs> I have never inhaled. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's because you were doing it uh, uh, through uh, through food, Bear. Yeah, he's inhaled breatharian wise. He's inhaled the solar rays. Dude, we did the dryer sheet filter. You take dryer sheets and put it in an old uh tube from a uh, you know, toilet paper and then exhale through that. Oh so my it'd God. come out smelling like dryer sheets. You guys not know that trick? Anyway, I've heard I think I've heard of that, but I, I I wasn't sure if that was an urban myth. You really did that, huh? I went to UC Santa Barbara. You can study buzzed, okay? <laughs> That's great. Well, so I, lived, in, uh, I lived for a little while up in Humboldt County for about six months. Uh, and literally, I when I would walk to the beach, uh, I was a in a little town called Manila. I could smell, I could just smell it on the breeze. It was being blown <laughs> everywhere. It was unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the vapor canopy, I it's one of my favorite Jason Archaics topics because it trips me out because speaking of the great old cannabis plant, he talks about the purple light and how that's better for plant growth. And when you look at a grow house, what kind of light do they typically have, right, Bear? It's that purple light. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, what's your take on the on on the vapor canopy, Saul? It's such a trippy idea. Yeah, well, he, he says, this is back to Jason. So his take on it is that it, it was, the biblical word is the firmament, right? And it's this heavy vapor atmosphere that kind of lowers and and then rises back up with with the uh, the diurnal cycle, right? And so it comes down and it kind of wets the earth and then it goes back up, 
and that that replaces rain. So there's actually no need for rain when you have the vapor canopy operating properly. It also creates a very dip, different atmosphere with different different conditions. You can see it, it acts like a kind of lens. So when you're looking out at the sky, at the stars, whatever they are, you know, they're maybe, they're, maybe they're just uh, holographic uh, projections, but whatever they are, they can be seen very clearly because the the atmosphere was actually condensing uh, our vision like like a, like a pair of glasses or a magnifying glass or a telescope so that uh, the early traditions were able to map the stars very, very clearly. And I back to something uh, Bear said earlier, I would say we also have the, the stars, again, in quotes, in us. <laughs> this is kind of our bio bioastrophysiology so you could also kind of look inside and do and do a, a variety of star maps so you would have another source for maybe making some of those ancient maps but in any case it's interesting to think that the canopy was acting as a kind of lens it was also a very dense atmosphere that made made the humans who lived in that world grow to very large size and they had great strength and stamina they were very hard to kill they would regenerate in seconds very often uh, and these were the titans of mythology so when the vapor canopy fell this was the great flood and it was very catastrophic but you did have people who survived it so some of these titans <laughs> survived and if they were pregnant pre pre-flood and then they had a baby in the world that a world that looked more like the one we inhabit now without the vapor canopy then they would have a, a titan but if they a generation later or if they started mating with 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 other people on the outside they would have a smaller large being as a child and those were the giants because there's this weird distinction between the giants and the titans and then when the giants had children those were the heroes the age of heroes people like perseus theseus and then the the, the heroes gave rise to humanity as we know it yeah, such a trippy idea. And there's a there's a wonderful tradition about the giants in North America, giants in Asia. Uh, there's, of course, uh, in the classic uh, Nephilim and that whole story. Um, right there, and, Catalina Island in your old stomping ground. Yes, I mean that it, is a that is a crazy place. Yeah, I've de I've dove there and uh, used to go there all the time. And there's oh man, there's so much trippy stuff with the Native American lore about. Uh, so what's about going on there? Giants. They found all these giants uh, or evidence of of giants that were back to the red hair, double double rows of teeth giants. Wow. Yeah, yeah, those I'm were so you think the redhead because obviously uh, there's a ton of uh, interesting. Uh, archival uh, stuff from the newspapers we know from the late 1800s. And then, of course, the Smithsonian cover-ups, which have been documented on a lot of places. And then there's even a connection to Abraham Lincoln and some quotes uh, in regards to the red-headed giants right, and right. things like that. So um, this gets really interesting in Jason's work because he talks about the reset of 1902 and how you know that was part of maybe the final cleansing of the giants 
because the giants are uh, 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 simply a reminder of the true reality. And uh, there's a seems like maybe these are an archonic influence trying to have us forget who we come from or where we are, or what this is, so they can control. So it's very important them, for them to erase the giants. However, there's archival footage. Have you seen that footage from Japan where there's literally a giant walking? And some people said that's fake, but it looks so darn real. It's like on an island and you see like it's from the 1920s, I think. And there's literally a giant walking with the soldiers. Have you seen that? That's that insane. Uh, do you know John Levi? Do you know who, um, who that is? He has a John, YouTube Hi, I'm John hey. Levi. Yes, yes. So he he uh, <laughs> has several videos about giants. His voice is really really funny. And there was there's some um, researcher who's done a lot of uh, photographing of this one area in what I believe is Peru. And she she uh, she uh, got some some camera footage, some uh, video footage of what looks like two absolutely gigantic people up on this hill. I mean, it's very very strange. Oh yes, I've seen that. Yeah, that is crazy. So yeah. yeah go on Levi and look up uh, any of his videos that might have to do with giants and um and how all the uh, a lot of the impossible architecture from quote unquote Tartaria all have giant doors and everything giant steps and a lot of yeah, the architecture they retrofitted these tiny doors to fit modern day humans you know into the cathedrals for example so you you would have started out you know with this giant door for maybe the titans <laughs> and then maybe these are actually tartarian structures and maybe Tart tartaria was the world under the vapor canopy yeah. hard to say you know it's really really hard to say but well just, so uh, according to jason we will be having a return to the vapor canopy right in 20 yeah so that's really fascinating. So with so the Phoenix, uh, according to his work, is this protocol within the simulation that that causes these cyclical resets every every 138 years. So um, we're looking at the next one in mid-May of 2040. So not terribly long from now. And for him, this is sort of the real end of the Mayan calendar according to his, uh, his model and his calculations. And he predicts that not only will there be a Phoenix event where there will be a certain amount of destruction, particularly in Asia, but that there will also be the reinstatement of the vapor canopy, which will begin cha radically changing our environment and our biological condition here. And that might involve actually growing. We might actually grow uh, several inches or more. This is this has been documented in some very strange ways with people who were um, uh, who were doing research in places where there had been eruptions that might have mimicked certain certain chemical um, chemical uh, or atmospheric conditions under the vapor canopy. Yeah, so it's there's very, very been done with animals too. I think, I think amphibians and stuff under in certain tanks and whatnot, and they've grown to much larger size. Go ahead, Bear. Well, the vapor canopy allegedly also created a uniform uh, temperate condition throughout the whole plain, so that uh, it might explain why archaeologically we find, um, you know, tropical plants and, and those kinds of species in areas that uh, are not like that today. And when the vapor canopy was pierced, uh, I believe uh, there's good evidence that collective emotions 
uh, are represented in our in storms and and uh, atmospheric conditions, and it's just a reaction to what humanity throws up into the atmosphere there. And I have read some accounts where, as at one point where consciousness fell to an extreme, then that event created electrical, uh, let's just say, occurrences that pierced that canopy and destroyed it and then created a lot of the things that now we attribute to ice ages and all sorts of different conditions, you know, radically different in different parts of the plane rather than the uniformity that seems to be evidenced by archeological findings as well. What I love about that perspective, uh, Bear, is that it shows how powerful we are even when we don't realize it. We have the ability to change the world, to change our physical environment, to bring on cataclysms. And this is really the, the, the flip side of this is kind of where I wanted to go, because you can look at this, this these ideas having to do with Phoenix uh, return and, and, and nemesis and all of that. And that can be really scary. But you also have to realize that we are very powerful and that our imagination is such an amazing tool for interacting with the simulation that we we can we can go through such cataclysmic events completely unscathed, certainly individually. And I know Jason really believes that. And maybe maybe it's even possible to mitigate the effects of those events or to undo them, which he does not believe can, ha can happen. But I think it's absolutely it's absolutely possible that that it would be that we could change the architecture. We're always being told things by movies, right? There's so much truth in the movies. And if you look at the original Matrix movie, here you have Neo born into the Matrix. So he's in the simulation and he learns how to change the simulation. So why can we not change the simulation from within if we want to? So we are the only species on this plane that has been endowed, uh, been endowed with that uh, free will and ability to precipitate matter and uh, you know from consciousness and create experiences in the same way. So, uh, if you look at all the kingdoms of nature, and we're the only ones capable of doing that, and obviously have been given that gift, then how could it be any other way? Right. Uh, you know, that's the thing that just escapes me. It's so obvious that. Uh, you know, we're at the bottom of everything, uh, you know, you, it's proven out in so many, you know, fields, medicine, agriculture, you know, different levels of science, how we influence everything. But then we still sit around and, and you know, wonder if it's possible when it's in front of our face all the time that we're the ones that are doing the manipulation, the creation, and uh, responsible for everything. So uh, I, I think we're finally starting to get a little bit clued in. Finally, right? You know, I feel like I've been mm -hmm. I've been banging my head on this on this wall for a long time. I'm I'm in the process of of um, going back through and putting together my first book that uh, it's, it's called Beginner's Luke, and it's about a guy. I, I I published three volumes of it. I didn't do a good job with it. I I got a contract for uh for the um for the book from a New York publisher. I decided not to take that deal. I didn't feel good about giving my book rights away and I still don't I still I still don't like doing that uh, long story short I'm reissuing the book as I had originally conceived it as a very large uh, volume that's made up of six internal books quote-unquote books so it's like six gigantic chapters that are broken down into sub chapters and the entire story is about a guy basically 
wandering around the simulation, which is how I interpret it now, and he's imagining his existence. He's actively imagining it. And he doesn't always realize that he's imagining it. And he does all kinds of crazy things and gets into all kinds of trouble, but he's always the one creating it all. And then he creates his way out of it. And this just goes on and on and on, on a kind of ascending trajectory till you know you get to the end of the book and there is a something like an ascension event. Um, it's all very humorous. It's very, uh, it's very uh, tongue-in-cheek, very naughty you know, all of those, all of those wonderful things. But the central tenet is, this is just an example of what we're all doing. We're all wandering around, imagining things. And to the extent that we can do that consciously, consciously, we have greater power. Now, I also believe there's a lot of people walking around who are basically undead, don't have any power, uh, conscious ability to use this power at all because they've divorced themselves from it. And then you have the kind of weird notion that within a simulation some of the people maybe many of our so-called leaders aren't even people they're just npcs there sure seems to be indication of that right now doesn't there yeah i i did a i did a blog on my sub stack you can go to um what is my sub stacks let me let me pull that up so people can go over there it's um sauluckman.substack.com and so i did a blog recently and it was just putting a series of pictures that I've collected over the last couple of years into a uh, into just a just a, a stack of pictures, right? And all these people in all these crazy-looking masks and things, including like Biden and other people. And the article is titled uh, "Will the Real Joe Biden Please Fall Down?" and other freakish mysteries on the world stage. And so, just go check out that. <laughs> blog. Look at all those pictures; it will blow your mind. Yeah, they've definitely um, taken the taken the wrong pill there and given themselves up to the arconic influence. And there's an interesting idea that um, Stellium, who seven in the chat, who does some great work, by the way, shout out to him for um, uncovering uh, going into um, the archaeological, not even the geological um, historic history here of finding rocks that are shaped like different organs. And this idea that maybe uh, our current technology that is not Tartaria, it's the, you know, the inverted technology, they're literally mining uh, the Titans, what are left over from them, and using oh, them as wow. an energy source, right? And it's That's sort of, because we do live in that parasitic sort of reality right now, controlled by this archonic influence, right? And so they're literally mining from the the past, but... It seems like with 2040, if Jason's on onto something here, then this is just the system, as he explains what he calls, uh, uh, what's the parasitic thing he calls something X? I'm blanking Artificial on. intelligence X. Yeah, AIX. AIX. Mm-hmm. That AIX, which is the archonic influence, gets wiped out. It gets just kind of cleaned out, right, through these resets. That's that's what the, uh, the role of that is. And really, you could look at that as just our own kind of collective consciousness cleaning it out or as the traditions of like the ascended masters it's the angelic host it's this like a high these higher intelligence that come down and support us because uh you know we all have a role to play so it is interesting to to think though that um those titans that were destroyed um that were so large 40 50 60 100 200 feet tall who knows that they've you can see that in the geological record still yeah, there's a lot of people doing fascinating work on, on you know, looking at 
structures uh, that we would consider to be mountains and wondering if they're buildings or trees or look, you know, like the carcass, uh, the fossilized, the petrified carcass of something like a dragon. Or, you yeah, know, yeah. Really, there's really amazing work out there. I also wanted to say, Mike, that uh, that I feel like the 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 archontic grip in the in the simulation has already been broken. That the simulation has is already cleansing itself of their influence, and that's playing out in the kind of breakdown of these archontic projections. Who are these NPCs, like quote unquote Biden or Nancy Pelosi, or people who literally appear to have uh, to be like you know uh, droids in uh, in uh, you know something like. Um, Blade Runner, and they're they're breaking down and slowing down, and they lose the ability to to speak coherently. <laughs> yeah, the the etheric energy source is being disconnected from them. Uh, yeah. They are. When I watch them, I when I watch them, I expect them to start flickering in front of my <laughs> eyes or something. That's you what know, I'm getting just, at. Well, yeah. and uh, and Hollywood seems to be really kind of portraying the the reality more and more. Like, there's this movie that just came out that you could call a Gnostic film, and there's a great tradition of Gnostic films out there. I say the Matrix is one of those. Uh, Everything, everywhere, all at once. Have you seen that, Saul? Or are you familiar with this? Trippy. I haven't seen it. I've heard the title. Do you recommend it? I do, be, just because. And there is your traditional wokeism in, in it, of course. Like the daughter is an Asian lesbian and all that, but. Um, you know, within the framework of this narrative, it's very much tied into, of course, they call it the metaverse, right? That's like what's that's going through all the Marvel movies right now. And it's the metaverse that everything is a sort of uh, uh, a multi, um, uh, you know, uh, dimensional reality, right? That everything's spiraling off fractally. But it's a Gnostic. It's a very much a Gnostic movie because they there's a sort of like evil presence in it, and she's essentially um, fighting this uh, who's her daughter, but is this like archonic uh, infinite evil um, that uh, she's going through all these different realities while splitting off from her physical reality, the main character, uh, and so it's a sort of like very much schizophrenic, weird Philip K. Dick type of movie. But uh, it's fascinating that it seems like if you just go look on Demon Flicks or Prime right now, all the sci-fi movies that are coming out that are just a dime a dozen and are terribly written. This one is actually OK. Um, they're all exploring these ideas, these concepts. So it's like the reality is having to now come to grips with this. And I believe movies are a creative influence from our subconscious that have to play out because of the you know, in the demonic sort of archonic influence has to show us what they're doing. So they playing it out through films and stuff so that we can um, sort of uh, at least have an understanding or an agreement that, yeah, this is the reality we accept. But yeah, check that out. Everything, everywhere, all at once. What a trippy movie. Yeah, I'll check that out. You know, I, you, I, you made me uh, remember that I wanted to mention, you know, the whole meta thing in, in relation to the simulation and you brought in the, the movies, you know, all the Hollywood stuff that's going on and um, Netflix and all that kind of thing. What I, you know, what they tend to do is they tend to take the truth and then they they take it far enough to let you realize that let the awake kind of realize, oh, okay, that's that they're talking about the simulation. And then they 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 they'll twist it in some way to make it seem like either it's it's not actually real haha ha, we're just making a joke or it is real and you're absolutely powerless inside it 
Yeah. So Saul, um, how does the, uh, you know, the concepts put out by Steiner, if you've delved into that at all, uh, behind the, the two polarities, Lucifer and Araman fit into all this? Yeah, I've, I've wondered about that, uh, you know, how, how you would, how you would, uh, if it's possible to superimpose that onto Gnosticism and, and Archons, because really you sort of have the unipolar evil in that model, which is the Archons. You don't really have the Luciferic and the, the Aramonic energies, right? So I don't, I don't know how mm -hmm. to actually make that fit. Do, do you have any ideas if, if they might fit? Uh well, Araman, of course, is that uh, polarity that we're experiencing now, which is uh, materialistic and right. and just going down the the left hand neuro, neurological pole at the expense of the heart. And then, of course, Lucifer was the um, you know people you know perceive these concepts as a devil when you know really not like that. But Lucifer would be that Eastern sort of philosophical. Right. Um, uh, you know, just desire to get out of your body rather than grounding in and manifesting and being a creator on this plane. And um, if you look at the, it, it really appears that a lot of our uh, leaders and <laughs> would be leaders these days and people in circles of influence are really intent in conjuring up uh, a portal for Araman to actually embody on this plane. Um, uh, I think maybe, um, you know, there's something to that, uh, as far as how that fits into, you know, past occurrences, as far as archons and things, I look at them as really working more interdimensionally. And, you know, there's uh, a lot of work that came, uh, through with, um, uh, what's his name's, uh, you know, with, uh, Oregon, um, uh, right. uh, where they, uh, well, yeah, thank you. Uh, Reich, you know, who was, uh, using technologies that then became morphed by other people where they could actually photograph these interdimensional entities. And some of the entities were very indifferent. Some were completely unaware of us. Others were very aware and, uh, actually, uh, participating and helping us. And then meanwhile, others were um, actively trying to sabotage us by way of their ability to access, access the mental plane and manipulate us from that level. So I think, uh, you know, that ties in with the whole Araman influence in the interdimensional realm and perhaps how the Archons uh, also operate on that level um, I don't know, just all conjecture, but I just wanted to, you know, see if you had any thoughts on it. Th those are interesting ideas. Do you, do you see the, the embodiment of Araman as being something like the Antichrist? Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting term. Of course, it takes on all connotations of, um, a, a lot of religious, uh, concepts well, and things the reason, the reason i asked that it's been on my mind a little bit uh -huh. i've been going through all of this archaics material so i've just been thinking about these concepts mm -hmm. uh jason talks about how the um you know the 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 whole Kovacs thing you know could be a kind of implant you know for for helping to establish conditions 
that would be realized with the appearance of that figure, however you want to define it. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I have no idea. I mean, clearly there's a kind of, uh, you know, gross materialization happening or, or materialism, I should say, happening with the whole view of uh, health and wellness and medicine and the idea that you need some kind of physical injection into your body to ward off some other physical thing that's going to happen to you. Your mind plays absolutely no role in that, you know, so this is kind of the apotheosis of a certain sort of materialism if you want to talk about the the Araman figure in that light I mean it's interesting how you know the, the you have this this idea of Araman but it also works through as you were noting the mental energies which I always associated with the Luciferic stuff like the light of the mind mm-hmm. so it's almost like they're, and- they're the same figure there's like they're, they're like they're like the 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 hemispheres of the brain or something like that yeah. And then, of course, uh, Steiner would go back and say that the middle way between those two polarities is the Christ consciousness, you know, the perfect balance of uh, understanding there is uh, a life force beyond just physicality. Uh, but then again, Araman going the other extreme as far as, uh, you know, the superstition of materialism. Uh, but however, if you balance the two out, it does allow us to be creative beings uh, going back to what we're talking about as far as using our imagination to manifest uh, you know reality here on the ground you know you mentioned the um the vax and uh there's a lot of conjecture as far as well as they're shedding you know can uh people that have been uh, purposely infected like that affect other people and, uh, you know, as far as the physical phenomena that I think there's good evidence that that is true, but uh, more pertinent to our discussion here, uh, you know, when you get into like pranic healing practices, uh, which I did for many years, still do, um, you know, you are really looking into those subtle bodies and just those uh, toxic lower emotions, as we've already mentioned, uh, can be quite contagious And when you take one of those serums, we'll loosely call them injected into your body that are doing unnatural things, forcing unnatural reactions in your body, and then also making you prone to be predisposed to that, just that one pole that we've been alluding to, uh, that is very contagious. You know, just like when you buy a piece of jewelry or something, uh, you know, that's been used by another person. Uh, that carries an energetic quality and you want to be very careful, just like when you move into a a home that's been inhabited or buy antique furniture, those carry that kind of energy. So when, uh, you know, you need to clear that, you have to be perceptive enough to realize that, you know, that is a contagion that is parasitic. So when they're purposely injecting us with these things, uh, you know, that create all these abnormal responses, Uh, That is a way of infecting each other. And even those that haven't been injected are going to be, if they don't have their wits about them, going to take on those contagions. And that is, I believe, uh, you know, what a lot of this whole business is about is infecting the whole population, whether you take that into yourself physically or not. 
Yeah, all the more reason to be a real student of the imagination and of the power of the imagination. I, I yes, thank you. Like, I, I recommend Neville Goddard's work very highly. Just you can get his books. Uh, a lot of it's just out there for free. You know, there's also very cheap editions of collections of his work uh, on Amazon. There's YouTube channels that uh, have a lot of the talks that he gave, and he will really uh, inspire you to to source your power from within and it's very possible it's very doable anybody can do it there there are really interesting little things you can do to actualize positive outcomes which might just be having a strong and healthy body during these times you know if, you, if that's yeah. of a that's if that is of concern you could simply at night as you're going to bed you can you can think about that you can feel it and you can visualize it and you could even speak words of thanks if you wanted to and i'm adding that in to create an action aspect to this to put it into um into uh into motion because you know you have in the bible the, that that line uh, uh that uh, faith without works is dead so if you just think about something if you just feel something you know will that make it happen maybe not you actually have to do something i believe there's a there's a formula in conscious healing that I created years ago, and it's sound plus intention equals healing. And so, or intention plus sound. So you have the thought, the intention, and then you have the sound, which is kind of this emotional experience. That's why music is so emotional. The sound conveys, uh, carries emotion. But then you're actually verbalizing something, and that's the action. And that's how you get to actual manifestation. That's the real secret the real law of attraction that i'm describing yeah that what you're describing too is very much like eurythmy which is rudolf steiner's system of healing where you you go through motions and uh, uh you know the different processes uh that mimic how physicality uh metamorphosizes in the first place and then you go into silence uh, and you also, you know, uh, intone sounds and words and things, but then you go in silence and then speak those same tones or words in silence. And it has a way of just sequentially ingraining that further and further, you know, for you folks in the healing arts out there, um, it's, it's an evolutionary process. And, and I'll just, you know, personally myself, I, I realized that, you know, what I had to learn out of spending the years I was engaged in, in the arts. And uh, of course, early on, you, you're always looking for those physical modalities and techniques. And, you know, I explored all those different um, avenues and they are effective. But if you are, if your intention is to really see what makes things tick, uh, you get the, the inner voice at a certain point says, okay, uh, take your hands off of bodies, start uh, going more to those unseen forces, those so-called subtle bodies. And that's why I gravitated more to things like pranic healing over the years, because it forces you to go into that imagination side of yourself, see those colors, project the colors, and then also develop that knack of perceiving what's going on in not only your uh, subtle bodies, but in somebody else's. When you persist over the years as a physician or practitioner type, and you just keep doing the hands-on healing, you really are moving the ball downfield as far as, you know, developing what we're really here to develop in the first place. So the healing arts can be a fast track, I think, 
to personal development, but you know, you really have to uh, watch the signs. And when that voice says, uh, okay, no more physical interaction. Now you go completely through the imagination. That's where the real magic happens. That's where real powerful medicine happens. And then you also realize that that's what made your physical modalities tick in the first place. And I think that's catching on with the general population these days is, you know, we're understanding that that's where our real power lies. And, and, you know, it's what we've been talking about in this whole discussion, which is great. That's so true. And, you know, a lot of people, they they believe that there's something either unreal or deeply unscientific or untrustworthy about the imagination and if you're applying it kind of indiscriminately maybe maybe there could be some of those elements but really and truly the healer is an imaginer when you see things when you're trying to pick up on what's going wrong with somebody or what's not working you're you're bringing your imagination to bear on on understanding that person's reality. If this is not some kind of cold scientific scanning process, this is a, an imaginative interaction with another informed field. Which brings us full circle back into shamanism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean um you know, there's, there's so much circularity in all levels of shamanism. It's very interesting that, you know, back to Jason's work, because he's been a wonderful uh, kind of, uh, you know, spine for this discussion, but he talks about the importance of, um, of phi and, um, and uh, uh, is, is phi and pi. So you've got the spiral and the circle essentially, right? <laughs> so all of this stuff just keeps coming around back to itself, sometimes at a higher level. And Jeremy Narby's wonderful book, uh, the, um, um, the Cosmic Serpent on um, Shamanism and Healing, you know, you have shamans uh, going in, having a vision, having some kind of interaction with what might be the spirit of DNA. And then that spirit gives them information about which sounds and maybe thoughts to, uh, to, to convey in their shamanic healing work for a specific person. It's like yeah. you're just given the information. You go in, you, you, you yourself go through a kind of healing process. You go in, you get that, you bring it back out, you give it to someone else. Yeah, the, the Native Americans here, the, I, I have a... <clears throat> firefighter uh, friend, uh, co-worker who uh, is Yurok. And whenever someone is ill or is not uh, doing well symptom-wise in the tribe, what they do is they uh, do, the whole community comes together and they essentially uh, start a fire and they put that person in the middle of a, of a circle. So they're in a circle, pie, right? And then they, then they all dance and sing and chant while going around and around this person for days on end until they heal. So that person is now fasting, dry fasting. They're all putting their intention together. They're creating a harmonic chant. So they have the word coming out and they're all putting their intention of healing into that person. And that person typically in two to three days then comes out of the fever or whatnot, and they see the healing time and time again. Now, this is an ancient, ancient practice. And what's trippy is my friend was telling me there's a story when they were doing this in the early 1900s in his tribe, and a Sasquatch came down and started dancing on the outside ring, as he was called in, 
And then so they were literally through their creative force bringing in this creative entity to come in, which they called the Mountain Man. They didn't call it Sasquatch. And then, of course, the, the legend goes that the Sasquatch grabbed a teenage girl and took off into the woods. But that aside, <laughs> um, oh, that, uh, that rascal, that uh, rascal. <laughs> um, very interesting, right? The shamanic tradition that's tying in everything we've been talking about today, harmonics, the voice, the, you know, singing, the, the word, uh, the uh, pie, the circularity, um, the time, space, space, time connection, the element of fire. All that in there, and uh, you know that's the ancient knowledge that we just need to re be reconnecting with, which uh, brings back, uh, you know, possibly the answer to your question earlier, Saul, which is: is it possible for a group of people with uh, less um, stellar intentions to get together and conjure up a portal to bring forth these interdimensional beings that aren't that great? like Aramon, and whether or not that's possible or not, uh, there seems to be definite evidence that it's being done right now, everything from CERN to, you know, the little, uh, you know, rituals that they do with their sacrificial uh, practices and things. So, yeah, it, it's just like anything else, any technology can be used in either direction. Well, right. and the thing I was going to say about Ar Aramon is, of course, that comes back from the Zoroastrian tradition, right, uh, that Steiner took from, because he was an ultimate synchromystic in many ways. And uh, good, uh, just thinking back to my timetable, I think Zoroastrian time might have been under the vapor canopy. So maybe I've often, I've often thought that. Yeah, so maybe that tradition had an awareness and were uh, very much keyed in on this idea. If you go to extreme materialism, um, then that will literally uh, create an emanation of that entity into the fold as a sort of golem, if you will, of the arconic energy, where we literally have a manifestation of materiality from our own fall, if you will, into materialism that creates this aramonic character that will literally as Steiner says, will actually, you know, uh, come in this plane, right? And he will be an actual physical force that could actually be some sort of golem or like, you know, robot type of AI that could play into the AIX idea of Jason. So there's a lot of tie-ins here between Steiner and Jason Brashear's work for sure. Uh, one one quick comment about that in uh, something I read a long time ago, and it was uh, in an account that was written back in the 1800s or perhaps earlier, and it was came through Ascended Master teaching circles that you know I've, I've been involved with, and they described how uh, before one's ascension, when was one was truly reaching a depth ship, you know, at that higher level, uh, one of the tasks they would do while still in physical form is to create a an actual body with their imagination and bring forth a body into the physical that was um you know like one of these little uh human creatures with all the attributes of a human and that was the final task as far as being able to materialize something like that in the physical what came of those uh, uh of those creations afterwards i don't know oh that is fascinating yeah, I wanted mm -hmm. to, I wanted, before we, you know, sign off today, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the vapor canopy again. And oh, uh, I wanted to suggest that, that there's, um, there's somebody out there who's, who's uh, possibly uh, making it possible for 
for us to experience some aspects of the vapor canopy right now. And that's George Weissman. Are you familiar with the Aquacure? Yes, of course. And it's funny you bring him up because literally a guest we're having come on to talk about primary water are working with George as well. And he, they literally, uh, Cosmic Sojourner, shout out to you. We'll have you and uh, Russell Anderson on the show next month to go deep into primary water. But they're working with George on the uh, gas on um, what's it called? Uh, Brown's gas. Brown's gas, and asked if we should uh, have George on Alpha Cast. So yeah, it's uh, time we're ready to have George on. It's long overdue. So so here's the thing: in a very dense atmosphere like that, I'm I would think, and I'm I really want to interview George on my podcast and ask him what he thinks. But I would assume that you would be producing a lot of of this kind of hydrogen, this Brown's gas, this hydro what he calls also also calls hydroxy. I would assume the atmosphere would be full of it, and it would be at least largely responsible for why things would grow fast and large, and why you would heal. So, I'm literally drinking uh, I, during the show my hydrogen water as we speak, actually. Barry there and you I go. Are, so, are, so I got to, you know, I've been in really good shape for a long time and very active and I can exercise for a very long time. But I started uh, doing the hydroxy uh, not too long ago, a few months ago. And I had, uh, you know, I, I had some interesting things happen. I had a mole on my back that just just mysteriously disappeared. He, he described that, George described that phenomenon. Um, he also describes the, sh the shrinking and disappearance of old scars that, uh, you know, that have been there for a very long time. Sometimes they're very large. There's a video of him with his assistant on, on his, um, on his uh, website. And the guy had, his assistant had gotten in a terrible motorcycle accident and had a massive scar on his arm that was almost completely gone after dr drinking the water and, and inhaling the, the Brown's gas as well. And then um, he, uh, George also talks about getting a lot stronger, right? So I've noticed that I, at the end of my um, my kind of paleo workouts, when I'm doing a lot of like crawling around on the floor and things like that, I at the very end of these pretty strenuous workouts, I'll do push-ups. And I was doing Wim Hof's breathing method for a long time, uh, the last year and a half or so and i'd gotten to where i could pop out of bed in the morning if i wanted to and i could i could knock out about 100 push-ups and that was really about where i maxed out that was when i was fresh it was first thing in the morning now just drinking this water and doing a tiny bit of inhaling because i i believe that regenetics makes your system much more efficient so i cannot do a lot of this stuff it just pushes me way too fast but i can do a little bit of it and i've been doing that for a while and i i think it was uh, I think yesterday was when I hit at the end of my workout, an hour long workout, I hit 170 pushups. Wow. You know, hydrogen, of course, being the most abundant element also is that uh, um, correlated with the first level of ether, uh, which is the original fire element that then initiates uh, all precipitation down on the ground. So if you want to look at you know, hydrogen inhalation and making hydrogen more abundant, it kind of makes more sense. And especially if you combine that with intention, that it would have a great effect on your physical body, obviously. Yeah, I think so too, you know, and I think by volume, it's, it's, it's the most important, um, you know, nutrient for us. It's just, yeah. it's, we're made up of that, of that by volume. And, um, 
I like I like the way you connected that to that 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 primary creational level. You know, I think there's something to that right. there. And uh, are you using the Aquacure? Uh, his, yeah, I've got the Aquacure. I've learned how to do that, and um, that's just I, really something I've been interested in for a long time, and I wanted to try it out, and I, I've I've enjoyed yeah, it. I've I've got to order I've, that. I've been in really, you know. I've been in good shape and in good health for a, a while. So it's not like I'm looking to cure anything specific that I'm looking for, like hardcore. So, you know, I'm just monitoring little things that I deal with. And, uh, you know, and I'm just noting this tremendous increase in strength. That's in strength and stamina, I would say. Well, that's the best way to use things. You know, unfortunately, most people wait till they get sick or have a problem. But, uh, you know, these are great modalities to use um, just to up your game. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, just for the fun of it, rather than trying to fix a problem. So when you're feeling better is really the most optimal or when you're feeling good already is the, the best time to do these things. Yeah, I just want to surf better, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Crushing at all levels. That's when I'm always, uh, focusing i've learned that from you bear it's like when i'm feeling really good like i am <clears throat> i am uh well i realize i'm not invincible when i fell down that cliff earlier this week because i was starting to feel invincible but yeah i know like definitely tapping into the cell salts and uh and and uh, c60 and the hydrogen water and uh the ice baths and the sun gazing and the ut and all the breath work don't wait till you're sick guys. Like that's all part of the upkeep and, and it's not about upkeep. So you don't get sick. It's about more about feeling even better and better and optimizing to where you can just be like, just crushing it every day and uh, enjoying your life to the maximum. That's so right. Mike, don't look at it as uh, falling down a cliff. That was just like Neo trying to jump across to the next building there. So that was just your first attempt. Uh, you'll get there. And, you know, the, the thing I'm having the most fun uh, with these days, you know, I went through my whole, you know, younger years and athletic careers and all that and uh, really focused on the physical. But now I feel like it, the most fun challenge of all is getting into what most of us are programmed to believe is old age. You know, I'm, I could into my 70s now, which doesn't seem old and all. OK, you look uh, different and all that. But uh, it really becomes like a new athletic challenge. It's just, okay, how much can you achieve at this? And, you know, a lot of us, we, we kind of um, worship youth and, and make that a thing of it in and of itself. But youth is actually something to be overcome, not something to be admired. So <laughs> the, the real game begins when you are, you know, on in years and your hair's turned white and everything. It's like, okay, you know, bring it on. Let's see, uh, you know, if we can just merge the, the hopefully some wisdom you've gained over the years and merge it into your physical body and achieve a whole thing. And I think that's what, um, you know, the next stage of humanity is to overcome what uh, some people said the last enemy to overcome, which was death, right? Yeah, I'm on the same wavelength, Bear. I'm I'm definitely looking at at aging as gracefully as possible and keeping tremendous uh, functionality at all levels. So that's that's a big piece for me. Dude, uh, 70s, the new 40, Bear. Didn't you know that? So you're good. Yeah, Bear, you look I great. You look absolutely great. <laughs> well, aging. What is aging? Right? Aging is uh, a mindset. 
That's for sure. And we know masters that uh, have been on this realm for hundreds and hundreds of years that have mastered uh, out of the materiality. And it's just aging is materialism in terms of uh, the way that modern society looks at it, right? Versus aging, which is more about wisdom and more about um, refinement. Um, it's That's the type of definition I like to uh, use for aging. That's a good one. Hey guys, this has been a great chat. Any final uh, stuff to bring up, Saul? As we uh, part ways for today, this is one of this is my favorite stuff to talk about. By the way, so oh, I yeah. love, ha love having this, you. This on. is this has really been fun. Thank you so much, Saul. It's always a delight to talk to you. So uh, yeah, uh, any final things? Oh gosh, well thanks for asking and thanks for having me on. This has been really fun. It's my my favorite stuff too. I really can't get enough of it. I know that my my family sometimes uh, get a little annoyed with me because I'm constantly watching <laughs> videos and you know talking about this kind of thing. So uh, anyway, uh, it's wonderful to be indulged <laughs> by you guys. So I I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to um, let's see. You know, Alex Zach is putting together some kind of uh, two-day little uh, series of uh, seminars or videos, or I don't know what he's doing exactly. He's doing, well, they're doing the Health, Freedom, Humanity live stream in September, which I'll be a part of. If yeah, that's what you're talking about. Me, yeah, so I'm going to be doing uh, some kind of presentation at that as well on similar subject matter. I'm really wanting to talk about how to uh, to use the imagination for manifestation and healing and beyond. Uh, so that's that's uh, the next thing I've got, you know, the public appearance kind of thing. And I'm also in the process of bringing out a couple books. So if people, you know, want to follow what I'm doing, um, you know, you can sign up for my, for my newsletter. That's at that's at crowrising.com. I'm on Telegram. Uh, you can look up uh, uh, what is it t.me slash Luckman. I think that's what it is. And then I'm on Substack. Uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of really good stuff there. And my my blog at snooze to awaken that snooze with the number two awaken.com has a lot of articles not by me. I've uh, published a lot of stuff on the fallacies of germ theory. Uh, you know, I do um, all kinds of uh, well articles and interviews with people like Dr. Mark Bailey and Sam Bailey and Tom Cowan and Andy Kaufman and Dr. Bear and other people. So, you know, please check out that, that work. I feel honored to be able to, to chat with these, these great minds and, and offer, you know, that to my audience. So I'm, I'd, I'd love, I'd love for you to come take advantage of that. Cause I don't, I, it needs to be shared. The word needs to get out there about what real science is about how biology really works uh, the the real nature of quote unquote germs. This is really important stuff to understand. We can't expect to ascend, <laughs> if you want to use that word, with a false version of how the human body interacts with nature. Here, here, and thanks to your work and Bear here and on the terrain film and um, was it Andy Cowan? Uh, I believe is what Mike Eden said. Mike Eden, uh, ex Pfizer exec, who is very vocal about. Um, issues with the jibby jab has now come out and said that he now understands that there's no such thing as a respiratory virus that does not exist. Oh, and that's he, big. That's big. Yeah. And he actually, he said, thanks to, I think he said Andy Cowan, or he said <laughs> he, he merged them. And, and uh, lately, Tom, 
or Tom Kaufman, I think he said. And Tom said, no, That's I great. did not get married. I did not merge with uh, Andy. <laughs> but uh but that's really cool. I mean, that's huge, right? And Alex Zach, shout out to him. He's been instrumental in connecting everybody and really having a voice. Um, you know, he's 30 years old. He just turned 30. And Alec is, you know, for his age, just absolutely crushing it. So we're excited that you're involved with that. Alec is actually coming out to Music and Sky. Um, I know you're probably not going to be able to make it, Saul. I gave you an invite, but no, maybe... um love to come maybe you can go to the east coast one because we are decentralizing music and sky we will be doing a workshop at the event if you want to become uh, a certified music and sky producer and, and to create your own music and sky in your neck of the woods um come out you'll get certified we'll support you so that we can have music and skies in the midwest east coast australia england etc very exciting china even china music and sky so very exciting uh, yeah yeah so um that's is, dude, you're just crushing it on so many levels, dude. We appreciate you so much. Love your artwork. Love your books. Uh, I will make sure all the show notes uh, in the show notes below will have your telegram, your blog, your website. Interesting that your original website had Phoenix tied to it too. Another uh, sort of um, sync there with um, good old Jason. So Isn't that funny. Yeah. Yeah. Genetics. Yeah. That's funny to me. And Bears, you know, original company was Regenitech so oh that's really funny gosh it's amazing it really is kind of uh you can't you can't make this stuff up at, at a certain point <laughs> you know you're just being kind of winked at by the simulation over and over and over exactly so we'll wink right back at you guys i hope you uh, enjoyed this talk if you did give us a thumbs up share with your friends and family that really helps us get this information out uh go support saul and all his work go buy his books they're quite quite enjoyable I've got actually potentiate your DNA right here. I was going through again. I've got it like bookmarked and stuff. Uh, your story is so fantastic too. I mean, you've gone through the hero's journey of rebirth. You yourself were injured. We uh, and we talked about this and the first alpha cast with you, but by the devil's prick, uh, and you were able to go through that journey and heal yourself. And then, of course, we're downloaded the whole uh, Regenitech or your, excuse me, your DNA potentiation, which I've done, by the way. And I've got my potentiation journal right here, Saul. I've kind of gone out of practice a little bit because life takes you out of swing. But I really did enjoy it. I've, I had the chart memorized and was doing my toning every day. And um, it's a really fun practice. And I highly recommend it to folks. If you are, um, your interest has been peaked get uh, potentiate your DNA book and go into it. Uh, it's a very fun process and it involves tuning forks. So we got a sync with Eileen McCusick who was on recently. I mean, everything, our last alpha, all of our alpha cast, like, I mean, this whole year, every single one is connecting. It's really cool, man. As we, we really bring forth the new science, the real science, the ancient science back to the forefront. So thank you guys uh, for joining us today on the chat. It was a really good chat. Uh, if you guys are listening right now and want to join us, we do this every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific time on Unite.live, which is the old B Sovereign. We're on Odyssey and we're on LooshTube as well as Fakebook and DLive. So love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Remember to get outside, get your feet in the soil, go plant something, go for a hike. Mother Nature is our best teacher. And so go show her some love. Okay, guys, have a beautiful weekend. Cheers.